It's one of those mornings occasionally, uh, pastorally, for those of you who don't know, we have two locations of our church. The other one is in Parker. Um, and ever so often, one of us is, is gone, or we try to spell each other. In this case, Rich is on vacation this week. So I was down in Parker this morning, uh, and I taught down there, and then drove back up here. And it's funny, there, there are some churches with, uh, how should we put it, uh, greater means maybe than we have, and they have things like private helicopters for their pastors who do multi-site teaching, and they get in a helicopter and they fly. This clearly not our case here. So I'm in, in my car, which is, you know, you know, kind of a beat up car, and it's fine, and just, uh, it, it was very funny, instead of flying in a helicopter, I was driving down the road, and there were actually parts falling off of my car this morning as I drove, so I'm really glad that I made it back. But I think there's even an illustration there, right? Do you ever feel like your life can be that way, like you got parts falling off of it, yeah. like you wish there could be like a helicopter and your life was this, but it's not, and your life is like something that has parts falling off, I feel like that way too, so uh, if that's how you feel, welcome to our church, you're right at home with a lot of the people who have parts falling off, <laughs> so that being said, we are in a, a series here, as you can see on the screen, on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, 5 and 6 and 7, and uh, we're a couple weeks into it. If you have missed any of the teachings we've given on this, uh, just a little plug, we, we do put our teachings up uh, on the internet, this thing called the internet, if you've heard of that. Uh, you can go to our website, denverfirehouse.com, and there's a tab for teachings. You can get it there, but you also can go to like the podcast thing that's like if you have an iPhone or an Android, you go to the podcast and the Firehouse Church messages, and they're on there. And So if you want, we've given a couple messages. One of them was just an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount and talking about how do we look at, how do we read, how do we understand the Sermon on the Mount in light of the Gospel? Uh, and then Brad gave a message on uh, the Beatitudes and kind of walked us through uh, what that means uh, for Christian living. So today, as you can see, the title of the message is What to Do with Anger. So before I jump into that, why don't we go ahead and pray and invite the Lord in here this morning. God, I lift up our time to you. <clears throat> And I, I thank you uh, for the words of truth, the words of life that are carried right there in the Bible, in your instructions for us. God, I thank you for the good news, the good news that Jesus Christ paid the penalty on my behalf. It's by the blood of Christ that I will someday stand before you on the, the day of judgment and... According to the scripture, I'm going to get to walk into heaven, be with you, Lord. And so as we look into the scripture today, we know it's going to point us to eternity, but it's going to help us as we go along the road in our lives, right here and now, as the parts are falling off of our cars, and we struggle with so many different things. God, you meet us right where we're at. Thank you for that. Help each one of us to take something away from your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Anger. Have you been angry this week? Are you angry at a boss? Or a co-worker? Were you angry at your kids? Were you angry at your spouse? Were you angry at the President of the United States? Were you angry at somebody else who was driving on the road? 
You're angry at somebody this week. Chances are you were angry. I was angry this week. What did you do with your anger? What did that anger lead to? Did you get in a fight? Did you get in an argument? Did you exchange heated words with somebody else? Did you mutter things under your breath? Did you flip the bird to somebody? Did you hope in your heart that that person might die or harm might come to them? Did you end up taking something from a person who angered you? What was your reaction to anger this week? Now, again, we're just a church of people and we're all human and we have sinful natures and we respond to things sinfully. But I thought this morning we should look at what did Jesus say about what to do with anger? You're going to flip to the slides, right? All right. He said this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penalty. Alright, so that's what Jesus said about anger in the midst of this sermon that he's giving about the gospel. And so how do we sort this out? Well, let's start by putting it in context. And first we can go to, what did Christ tell us about righteousness? You may remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about righteousness. We talked about being salt. We talked about being light. I know Brad alluded to that this morning. And then Christ told us about righteousness. And he said this in Matthew 5, verses 17 and 20. He said, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And remember, fulfill means obey. He came to obey the law. And then he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the most religious people out there, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we learned a couple of weeks ago that Jesus is the only one. He is the only one who obeyed, fulfilled the law. He's the only one who did it. And we also learned that the law is impossible for us to obey. It's impossible because of the corruption that's in our hearts. And see, in this day, the Pharisees had really taken the law and they had twisted it. And later on in Matthew, in chapter 23, Jesus goes on this great, almost like a diatribe. He goes off on the Pharisees. He goes off on religious people. And the key problem is that the Pharisees made the law about themselves. He made, they made the law about themselves. They said, look at me. Look at us. Look at how righteous we are. There's a poignant statement there in Matthew 23. Jesus says some very harsh things. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so I'm going to show you here two diagrams that help me think about the idea of sin and righteousness and the law and what Jesus is talking about here with anger. So we'll start with kind of a, a legalist view. No one likes legalism, but this is what legalism does, right? We got murder and we got anger, for example. And the legalist goes and draws a circle around murder and says, that's sin. This is not sin. Right? And so what are they doing? Saying, I can be angry and it's all good. But what does the truth say? What does the Bible say? The Bible says you've got murder and you've got anger. And it draws a circle and it's all sin. It's all sin. And really, I don't even know if there is a circle in some ways. And so self righteousness is not necessarily me saying I'm so great. It's when I draw my own circle around my own sin. When I say, this is sin, and this is not, and hey, look, I'm over here and not sin. And there's another word for this. It's called hypocrisy. <laughs> right? Nobody likes hypocrisy. We hear that word thrown around all the time, don't we? You watch the news. The world points at Christians and says, you hypocrites. And I think they kind of have a point in some ways. There are a lot of Christians, a lot of us, sometimes, but we draw a circle around sin, and we go, look at you, you sinner. And we're over here and going, oh, this isn't sin. It's not in the circle that I've drawn for myself. Matthew 23, Jesus calls religious people hypocrites half a dozen times. So that should be a warning to us. And yet, on the other hand, you don't have to be religious to be a hypocrite. Do you guys see the world is full of hypocrisy all the time? I hear it all the time. There's sort of a, a catchphrase going on in our culture right now. That catchphrase is, you are a racist. We heard that a lot. By whose standard? It's always the question that should be asked. Most people who like to throw that out are standing in somewhere where they probably have some hypocrisy and some judgment and some condemnation, but they've drawn the circle not around where they're standing, but around something else. What about another thing that's in the news? We must take care of the earth. We must take care of the earth. You're not taking care of the earth. It's pretty easy, typically, in those situations to see where somebody who's putting judgment is stands somewhere where they've drawn a circle, and they're standing outside that circle, but they drew that circle, right? Now, I, let me just give the disclaimer. Racism is not right. It's not good. I don't like it. God doesn't call us to that. We should take care of the earth. We should steward what is there for us. And so I'm pointing those out as examples, not as pointing out people. But those are just two illustrations. There's many other illustrations. And in fact, when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us several illustrations, and this one on anger is just the first one. So we're going to see the others here in coming weeks. And so I think this is kind of the bad news. Because we all want to do this. We all want to draw our circles and say, I'm not standing in that circle. So what is the good news? The good news is that gospel righteousness is when we allow Jesus to obey the law perfectly 
in our place. Gospel righteousness is when we allow Jesus to obey the law perfectly in our place. I'm going to talk about this more in a minute, but I thought today I just want to give you two takeaways from this passage on anger. And so the first one is this. Don't confuse righteous living with righteous standards. Go back to the verses, the first two verses of our passage today, 21 and 22. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. Jesus says, your circle doesn't work. It's much bigger than you thought it was. And so Jesus is saying here, don't be angry. Don't be angry. He's not necessarily saying don't have anger or don't feel anger. Sometimes we, we can't control how those things come to us. And frankly, there really is a place for righteous anger. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about righteous anger. And really, we've already seen, we we started at the beginning, I asked this questions, and I'm sure each one of you is like, yep, I probably failed when it came to anger this week, or not this week, recently. And so we each have seen how we've fallen short, and so who is righteous? Which one of us is righteous as it pertains to anger? Which one of us can stand outside that circle and say, I'm righteous? The answer is none of us. None of us can stand outside this circle, except one person. That's Jesus. Jesus was able to stand outside that circle and obey the law perfectly. And so when judgment day comes, it tells us in the scripture that after death, each of us is destined to die once and then to face judgment. Each one of you is going to face judgment before God one day. And on that day, we will be found righteous only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so if that's true, if we will only be found righteous, not because of what we do, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we now can pursue righteous living. Because Christ has already fulfilled that righteous standard. He's already fulfilled it. So I have this picture here, the screen. And I was trying to think of what is an illustration of what is this like? And I think in some ways life and the standard that God has given us is you, you have to get through miles and miles of deep snow on your own. And you can't do it. We can't live righteously and get there. We can't trudge through the snow. But Jesus is like the snowplow. He's gone through before us and he's cleared that path. He's cleared that path and brought us to God. And so now we have this opportunity, right? I know it's sort of the wrong season here being in June, but you guys know how it is. Those of us who've been in Colorado a long time, we always hope, ooh, hope I can get behind a snowplow as I'm going down the road in one of our snowstorms, right? It'll be sanded. It'll be nice. I can get there. That's what this is like. So you go, okay, fine, I, I can't not be angry as a way to get to God. I'm, I'm going to be angry, or I'm, I'm going to not be, but so I'm doing it out of freedom. What should I do? What's a practical way I can live righteously when it comes to anger? 
Well, Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells us this. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So there's a lot here. There's a lot in this passage. And I, I think one thing we can say at first is, yeah, hey, look, there is room for righteous anger. It says be angry, right? I think we can be righteously angry when we see injustice. I think in some ways we can be righteously angry when we're wronged, when, when someone wrongs us, or when we see evil, when we see the work of the devil. We can be angry righteously. But I think the emphasis in this passage is not on righteous anger. The emphasis in this passage is how do we not have anger that leads to sin? How do we not sin as, as a result of it? And at the end of the day, even if you are righteously angry, it's not justification to sin, is it? You can't say, well, I was angry over something righteously, there was injustice, and so it's okay for me to sin. No. That's not how it works. It's not how God designed it. Anger doesn't justify unforgiveness. Anger doesn't justify stealing. Anger doesn't justify unwholesome speech, rude comments, biting words. Did you do any of these things this week? But thankfully, God's instructions are not just simply don't do that. His instructions are do this instead. And what does it say here? When I'm angry, I can choose to do deal with it righteously. Right? I can, what does it say? Don't let the sun go down in your anger. I can reconcile quickly. See also in this passage it says, do honest work with his own hands. Work hard and, and share that fruit. Respond to anger by working hard and sharing sacrificially with others. I'm angry. I can speak with grace. I can speak with control. I can seek to speak and build others up instead of tear them down. It says there, be kind. Be soft-hearted as a response to anger. And be forgiving. It's a great phrase. A lot of us use it sometimes with our parenting. As Christ forgave me, I forgive you. Try that one this week sometime. Second thought I want to take you to take away this morning from this passage is this. Obey Jesus because his instructions are what is best. I talked about this before. These are, these are not just arbitrary killjoy instructions. God's given us instructions for living in righteousness because they're for our best. Verses 23 to 26, just to review them, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. 
truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penalty. Jesus says, reconcile to those who are angry with you. Do you see how he pivoted there? Those first two verses, he says, don't be angry. And then the saying, here's how you, you deal with that anger with that person. He says, let's focus on how people might be angry with you. Do you catch that pivot? The emphasis is no longer on your own anger. The emphasis is on loving others. So it's not about how I've been wronged or I'm angry. It's not about how I've been wrong, but how, how have I wronged somebody else? The righteous way to deal with my own anger is to be reconciled to those who are angry with me. I think that's Jesus' key instruction. His instruction is not to be worried about, am I righteously angry or not? Am I right to feel wronged? That's not the emphasis. Because when I do that, I'm back to drawing a self-righteous circle and saying, I'm not standing in that circle of sin. So if the righteous way to deal with my own anger is to be reconciled to those who are angry with me, do you mean, does this mean that I should stop thinking about myself and start thinking about others? Yes. Start thinking about others. Have you ever seen this play out in your own life? Think about conflict you've had with someone or the anger or someone's wronged you. Has it ever gotten better from continuing to be angry? Probably not. But has it gotten better sometimes? And maybe not always, but sometimes has it gotten better if you've sought forgiveness and peace and reconciliation and you've taken that initiative? Probably has. I know I've seen that happen in my own life, in my own relationships. I think it's interesting that Jesus says this initially to a Jewish audience as if it was some sort of new revelation. It, it wasn't a new revelation. It was something that was already there in the Old Testament. In Proverbs 29.11, Fools give vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Fools give vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. He was, already, he was just reiterating, reiterating what they already knew. I think it's interesting there, there's that, that piece in, in Matthew where he says, those of you who say, you fool... And that you fool is one of those few Aramaic words, not a, not a Greek word, an Aramaic word in the New Testament. It's, the word is raka. I looked it up and it kind of means empty head. You empty head. You empty headed fool. Good translation and I read that would work for it would be like you moron. Right? And what is Jesus saying if we tie it back to Proverbs 29? Fools give vent to their rage. It's the fool who says, you moron. <laughs> you fool. Wait, no, if I said that, I'm the fool. That's what Jesus is saying. Name calling out of anger is just a foolish venting of rage, isn't it? Okay, so how can I seek reconciliation? If Jesus says, seeking reconciliation is what is best. Right? We obey because his instructions are what is best. And he says the way to deal with anger is to go seek reconciliation. Okay. How is that what is best? Romans twelve eighteen says this. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Being at peace with others is best for me. (laughs) Seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? Right? Have you seen that in your own life? When you're at peace with others? You're at peace in your life? It's kind of how it works. When I'm at peace, my heart is clear. When I'm not angry at others, and I know others aren't angry at me, I'm not preoccupied with situations. My heart is clear. And if somebody is angry with me, and I do nothing, I'm not really making any effort to break down that anger, am I? But if I make... If I approach them and go as, as it depends on me and try to seek peace with them, there's a good chance, or at least there's a chance, I could break down that anger. Although there's no guarantee of reconciliation, I think this verse even says that. As far as it depends on you, you can't control what someone else is going to do, but you can control what you're going to do. So that's how I think we can get to what is best, is we can, as far as it depends on us, live at peace. Seek peace. Seek reconciliation. So, to close it, I'm just going to give you a couple summary thoughts here of what we talked about this morning. The first one is this. I don't need to draw a circle around the sin of anger in my life because Jesus perfectly obeyed the high bar of God's law in my place. It's so easy for us to take that legalistic view and say, okay, I'm just not going to be angry because if I get angry, then God's not going to love me as much. Or I might be in in danger of sort of offending him or making him mad. And uh, No. Christ the snowplow has cleared the way. We can walk behind him. So I don't need to draw that that circle around the sin of my anger. I don't need to self-justify. I don't need to be self-righteous. Second thing, I can allow Christ's death, I can allow Christ's death, which was done in my place and in your place, I can allow it to prompt me to just release, release the anger, forgive others. By doing that, it's going to bring peace. It's going to bring peace to my relationships. And then lastly, I can trust that Christ's instructions, he's instructed us, turn from your anger. I can trust because it is his instructions and he hasn't set these things up as a way to make life worse for me. It's time not to make it better. When I turn from anger, it's going to bear good fruit in my life. And it's going to bear good fruit in the lives of others. And that's what we want to do. And so I hope as a church, each one of us in our lives will look at our lives and maybe you even have relationships with people here where you go, I feel like there's some anger or maybe someone has got something angry at me and I need to go just kind of talk it out. As far as it depends on me, live at peace with one another. We'll pray and I'll close. God, I thank you for giving us instructions on how we can live. How we can walk through the the challenges and the conflicts. And Lord, we want to honor you by not being angry. God, before we even get to that, we want to honor you and praise you by saying thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die in our place, to fulfill, to obey the law perfectly on our behalf, to clear the way to be that snowplow that we can walk behind and make righteous choices. God, and we want to make righteous choices. God, I want to make righteous choices in my life because I know it's going to go better for me if I do that than if I make sinful choices. 
Lord, help each one of us to do that. Lord, as it comes to the, the issue of anger, which I think each one of us probably deals with on a weekly, if not daily basis. Lord, help us to remember your words. Help us to not be caught in anger, to seek peace and reconciliation with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.